bursting in air gave proof ready through the night that our flag was still there oh say does that star spangled banner yet wave or the double mic there for a moment. I love that song. My daughter just sang it last week um, at a volleyball tournament. And man, to be a part of the land of the free, the home of the brave, July, July 4th every year, you know, sing these, these songs that sometimes we don't sing all the time throughout the year. And we watch the fireworks go off and it's, it's so exciting. If you live in Arthur or we live, it's like the most exciting event of the year. Okay. Arthur fireworks are something to see. So we watched the fireworks and I can't even tell you how many years that I have gone through July 4th weekend enjoying the day off, you know, enjoying burgers on the grill without actually thinking about the cost, the price that was paid for the freedom that I get to live in, the freedom that you get to live in. You guys are very serious. I mean, I, I'm, you know, think about it. We, we, you know, we, were, we were freed from the rule of Great Britain and there were so many men and women and families who laid down their lives because they believed in a possibility. They believed in a dream. They believed in a promise of freedom. They didn't engage in a war knowing they were going to win. They engaged believing they could. Now, that's kind of crazy. But to believe that the impossible is possible is a gift called faith. To believe in something or someone that we can't see, but yet we believe, that's faith. You're here this morning because you are a person of faith. You're here to worship a God you can't see, but you believe in. And I just happen to think that if you're in church on July 4th, when you could be at home sleeping in, grilling, or sitting on the lake drinking a, a energy drink or a mimosa, that not only do you have faith, but you got some kind of crazy sold out faith. Are you here because you have a sold out to Jesus kind of faith? Is that who I'm preaching to this morning? Because that's my kind of crowd. The kind of crowd that loves to take steps of obedience. The kind of crowd that's here because you're already woke. You're just ready to go do something more. Okay? You're here because you're passionate for Jesus. Faith-filled people. Faith. We're in, this, we're in a series right now that's titled Fresh. Fresh. When I think of fresh, I think of fresh chocolate chip cookies. Mmm. Fresh bread coming out of the oven. Yeah. Come on. We're, we, we draw near when something's fresh. And this morning, we have the opportunity to draw near and receive a fresh outpouring of faith. Faith for the journey. You know, the fight for our freedom was a faith-filled journey. And it was a process that went through, like, spanned so much time. Faith this morning for you and the journey that you're on. And the process of the promises of God in your life and in my life. And when I think about fresh faith and I think about God 
God's faithfulness throughout the generations, there's a chapter in the Bible that always comes to my mind. It's Hebrews 11. 11 is my favorite number. We just had an 11-11 fun moment. I love that. Okay? Hebrews 11.1 1 says this. Faith is confidence in what we hope for. It is assurance about what we do not see. So when we put our faith in God, in God, we can have a confident assurance and trust in what we hope for, even though in the moment we might not see it. As you read on in Hebrews 11, it's like a hall of fame for people of faith. Men and women like Abraham and Sarah. If you don't know their story, Abraham and Sarah waited 90 years for a child of promise. They were promised a, a son. They were promised descendants. When Sarah had her baby, she was 90 years old. That's freaky. <laughs> That's kind of crazy. More than kind of crazy. You guys, 90 years, when we were waiting on a child and waiting to get pregnant for a year, it feels like a thousand years. Waiting for two, imagine waiting for 90. And then we have guys like Noah, who spent somewhere close to 70 years building an ark, even though he had never seen rain. Like, wrap your mind around that for a minute. You're building a boat, and you've never seen rain, and God says he's going to send it. You've never seen it. Somehow, he's believing it. Can you imagine how many times that Noah was called crazy? Probably his whole life, crazy Noah, till the floods came. And then we have guys like Moses, who took a huge group of people on a trek into the wilderness to go towards the promised land. It took them 40 years. I mean, it could have taken them a lot less time, but they were complaining kind of people. And they were stubborn. These were not overnight breakthroughs in their life. These were not fast food breakthroughs. This was time. This for some of them spanned the majority of their life where they were trusting and had faith in God in spite of what they were seeing, they believed. And today we're gonna embark on a story with a young man in the book of Genesis who lived a crazy life of faith. And do you know why I wanna talk about faith today? Because I need a fresh outpouring of faith in my life. Don't you think in the last year and a half, many of us have felt the changes that are upon us, that we feel stretched, we feel spread thin, we feel the tension of the world changing around us. And for me, I'm just going to say it like this, I feel squeezed right now. And when we get squeezed in our life, something's going to come out. Is it going to be Chick-fil-A sauce? <laughs> that would be goodness. What, what happens when we get squeezed? You know, what's going to come out, out of me as I'm getting shaken, I'm getting squeezed? Is it going to be fear or is it going to be faith? Is it going to be stress and anxiety or is it going to be hope and trust in God? I'm living in this tension. I'm preaching from this tension today because I want a fresh outpouring of faith right alongside of you. So I want us to pray right now and invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us through the word this morning. Father, we need you. 
We want to be men and women who leave a legacy of faith. We want to be Hebrews 11 hall of faithers that when we look back over our life, we can see we took steps of faith and trust in you and you were faithful and you carried us through. That's who you are, God. Right now, Father, I pray fresh faith over us to trust in you with all our hearts, to believe that your power is at work in our lives even when we can't see it that by faith we would believe in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Y'all ready to strap on your seatbelts and hear a story? All right. So this is a story of a young man named Joseph. And Joseph's story in Genesis actually has more chapters assigned to him than any other uh, person in the book of Genesis, which is pretty cool. Joseph comes from that Hebrews 11, like hall of faithers, like his great-grandparents were Abraham and Sarah. His dad, Jacob, was an incredible man of faith. And so Joseph's born into a family where his, he's got his dad, Jacob, and then he has 12 siblings. There's 13 kids total. You might have thought that Joseph was a Yoder, if you know anything <laughs> about the Yoders. It's like Amish family size, Okay. 13 siblings. Now, what we didn't have in the Amish family was multiple mothers. In Joseph's family, there were many moms, okay? So let's just paint this picture a little bit. We have a, a dad, many moms, and 13 siblings. Doesn't that just sound like a recipe for some family drama? Like, move over, Kardashians. Way before you, there were the men and women of Genesis. And it's a drama, drama-filled story, okay? All right. So one of the key parts of the story that really makes it extra is that Joseph is a favored son of his dad, Jacob. And the reason he's a favored son is because Joseph's mother, Rachel, was Jacob's favorite wife. And Jacob and Rachel had waited many, many years for a child, for a son. And Joseph was that long-awaited son. A few years after Joseph was born, Rachel died. And when Rachel died, um, Jacob put his affection on Joseph. So he's a favored son. And this is a really important thing to know as we begin to engage in the story. And because the story spans 13 chapters, I really am going to tell the story while sharing just a few verses here and there. Um, but I would really encourage you, and I'll encourage you throughout, please read the story of Joseph. It, you won't be able to put it down. It's fascinating. Okay, so as I begin the story, I'm going to begin by talking about the, the Jacob and Joseph and his brothers, which is the huge theme here in the beginning. Um, I want you to know that Joseph is 17 years old. Do we have any 17-year-olds in the room? Yeah, all right. 17 years old. Any teenagers in the room? I think we got some teenagers in the room. All right. So he's 17, all right? This is where our story begins. Verses 3 and 4 in chapter 37. Now Jacob loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and they could not speak peacefully to him. Okay. We have a favored child First of all, and second of all, Joseph is one of the youngest sons. Not know how many of you have youngest siblings, but I'm pretty sure that this family dynamic exists because it existed in my family. But the youngest in the family do have a way of knowing 
how to annoy the older siblings. <laughs> so I can imagine that Joseph didn't just wear his coat that his dad made for him in his bedroom. He probably wore it out, flaunted it a little bit in front of the brothers, right? Okay, so we can imagine that this created tension in the family, okay? But they didn't just dislike Joseph, they hated him. And it's about to get a little bit more challenging because God begins to give Joseph dreams. Let's read. Verse 6, listen to this dream, Joseph said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. Yeah, exactly. I'm pretty sure that if my youngest son said that to my oldest son, Blake, he'd punch him in the face. Um, maybe not exactly. Okay, but when, so when he told his father and brothers, um, okay, hold on a second. His brothers responded and said, so you think that you'll be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him even more. And they hated him because of his dreams and the way that he talked about him. You guys, there's times that if you're smart, you're just going to ponder those dreams in your heart. Maybe don't say them out loud, right? But no, Joseph is like, guys, get a load of this. You know, flaunting his dreams in front. He's got some lessons to learn. He does it again. Verse 9, he dreams another dream. And he told his brothers, behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. All right, so we have two dreams and a lot of tension in the house over Joseph's dreams, both with his brothers and with his dad. Family dynamic right now is filled with hatred and with jealousy. Soon after, the older 10 brothers go out and they're working in the field. And they're working in a field pretty far away from home, far enough away that one day Jacob says to Joseph, you know what, would you take some food um, out to your brothers because they might be running out right now. So just so you know, before there was DoorDash, there was Field Dash. <laughs> Joseph worked Field Dash, okay? So he packed up his stuff, bread and cheese and whatever else, and he went out on the road and he walked towards his brothers. And it says it was quite the journey because um, on the way, like when he got there, his brothers had some time watching him come down the road. So they're watching him come. And as they see Joseph coming from afar, it began just seeing him in that coat, began to stir up all kinds of stuff inside of him. And so they started to talk, as brothers do. Why don't we just get rid of this kid? I mean, he's really not fully their biological brother, like half-brother, right? Let's just get rid of him. Let's kill him. They talk and they, you know, um, conspire together and they finally decide that their best plan of attack is they're going to throw him in a pit and let the wild animals get him. So Joseph comes, comes towards them, and you can just imagine this scene. It, it breaks my heart. He comes towards them, and suddenly 10 big brothers, you guys, they had to be in their 20s and around an older if he was 17 years old, 
all these big guys come at Joseph and they grab him and they tear his coat off of him and they throw him into a pit to leave him for dead. Can you imagine 17-year-old Joseph's heart pounding? Like, does any brother care enough right now to rescue me? Is any brother going to get me out of this pit? What is going on? He had to be absolutely terrified. Well, he's terrified, but his brothers are sitting up on a grassy hill eating lunch. And as they're eating lunch, a caravan of traders begins to go by. And this caravan of traders is headed towards Egypt. And suddenly as they're eating, the brother Judah looks out. He's like, you know what, guys? What if we just sold Joseph? Like, instead of letting him, let's just sell him. So they decided that's a better idea because then Joseph's blood isn't on their hands. So they take Joseph. They pull him up out of the pit. And instead of being rescued, Joseph is sold. Sold into slavery. Joseph's brothers take his coat and um, they dip it in the blood, in animal blood. And they come home to their dad, Jacob, and they say, you know, we don't know. All we know is that we found this coat and we know it's Joseph's coat, obviously. And it's, and it's covered in blood and wild animals must have tore him apart. Jacob is completely undone. This is his child of promise. This is, this is his son that he loved, his favored son. And it says for like weeks and months and then years, jo like Jacob could not be comforted. He was heartbroken. So we have a heartbroken dad. We have 10 brothers with the shame of what they just did to their brother. And we've got young Joseph, 17-year-old Joseph, sold as a slave in Egypt into Potiphar's house, the captain of the guard. How do you think Joseph's feeling right now? Any of you guys ever been rejected by your family? Been hurt by their words? Their actions? He had a favored status at home. Now he's been beat up, sold. That could do a lot to shake your identity. Even though his brothers abandoned him, Joseph believed that he wasn't alone. Joseph had faith in God. Joseph had so much faith in God that Joseph began to work his tail off for Potiphar. He began to work hard. This guy wasn't a spoiled kid. If he was a spoiled kid, I don't think he'd have known how to work hard. Let me tell you, he went after it. He started working for Potiphar, and Potiphar began to notice everything that he would give Joseph to do. Joseph would, get, would do so well that it would grow. Mike talked last week about fresh growth, okay? Everything that Joseph would begin to touch would begin to grow. And so he'd put more and more things under his hands because everything he gave to Joseph, he would multiply it. That's what faith does. Faith multiplies. It says here, that from the time that Potiphar made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. Get a load of that for a second. God didn't bless Potiphar for Potiphar's sake. He blessed Potiphar for Joseph's sake. Because of Joseph's faith. Some of you guys are in a workplace right now with a boss that you don't really like. So you're not working too hard for them. 
See, what happens when we engage in faith, even in a place we don't want to be, is that when we know who we are, it begins to transform where we are. When I know who I am, it has the capacity to transform where I am. Everywhere that I go, this is actually the power of the gospel, is that Jesus came so that he could set us free to come to live inside of me so that everywhere that I go, I carry the king and the kingdom. I'm here to be an agent of change. That means when I step, when you step on a basketball court, you're there to be an agent of change. You bring the king and the kingdom with you. When you step in the classroom, when you step into your workplace, and guys, here's the biggest one, when you step into your home, when you step into your home, we have the opportunity to release the king and the kingdom, his presence, because favor in our life, faith attracts favor. Faith attracts favor. It doesn't just attract the favor of man. It attracts the favor of God. And let me say this. If Jesus could grow in favor with God, I'm pretty sure we have capacity to grow in favor. When we have faith in who we are, when we believe in who we are in Christ, it has the capacity to change everything. Jesus in me changed everything for me. Why? Because I don't have an excuse to be a victim to my circumstances anymore. Jesus lives in me. And let me tell you something. I don't want Jesus in me to get bored. Sometimes I just say that, Jesus. What, I don't want Jesus in me to get bored with the way that I'm living my life. He's going to do something through me. This is not my life. It's his. Joseph believed he was a son of significance. He wasn't just putting in time until he got his breakthrough. Can I just say that again? Joseph wasn't just putting in time and punching a clock until he got his breakthrough. He was investing his life with God. Because God never wastes faith. He won't waste it. Anything, we'd, every step of faith we take is an investment into our future. It's an investment in eternity. What does it look like for you and I to wait on God's timing without wasting time. To make the most of every moment, even in the waiting. I think there is such a massive lesson we can learn here from Joseph because it's so easy to complain about the place we're in. Well, when I get out of school, well, when I get out of this crappy job that I'm in and get to do something I'm passionate about, well, when I get out of this toxic relationship and we waste seasons of our lives away, because we're not in the place that we want to be in. If Joseph, as a slave, as a slave, y'all, could grow in favor and grow in influence to the point where he was overseeing all of Potiphar's household, I don't think any of us have any excuses not to grow where we are. With favor and with influence comes opposition. When I teach about purpose, I often say that we're, if we're not ready for opposition, we're probably not ready for influence. Joseph's about to get a very serious threat in the form of seduction. So the word says he was a very attractive young man. And Potiphar's wife began to notice him. Potiphar's wife said one day, she grabbed him and she said, Joseph. Sleep with me. 
sleep with me. Now, if you don't think that this was temptation for Joseph, then you might be like blind, deaf, and dumb <laughs> to the news, especially to the Christian news. How many men and women do we know that have fallen because of sexual seduction even in the last year? See, influence, okay, meets seduction, meets a great fall. You'd think that we would learn something over the course of time. It's not a new story. So what happens with Joseph, this young man of faith, because of the presence of God, and it, he was filled with integrity, and Joseph said to Potiphar's wife, my master has withheld nothing from me other than you. How could I do this and sin against God? I don't think that Potiphar, I don't know what her name is, Potiphar, whatever. I don't think she was used to being turned down. I think she was used to getting what she wanted. She kept asking him. You know how that is when, when, when somebody turns us down? Then we get real desperate. She kept asking and asking and asking. He kept saying no. Finally, one day, as he was trying to get away from her, she grabbed his coat and she started yelling at the guards. And she said, Joseph raped me. Get him. And the men came and they grabbed him. Potiphar was so angry. And Joseph was thrown into prison. Did Joseph do anything wrong? Was Joseph faithful to God? Yes. So how is it that when you're being faithful to God and you're doing, saying yes to what you feel like he's asking of you and you're, you're, you're doing things with integrity, why is it that suddenly you can be, you can be totally get this curveball and be thrown into a place where of shame? Did I do something wrong, Lord? Why am I in prison? People are mostly in prison, right? Because they did something wrong. Just because we make the right choices doesn't mean that we're protected from pain. Just because we make the right choices doesn't mean that we're protected from pain. So how does Joseph handle this massive blow? See, just when Joseph thought he had some momentum happening in his life, just when he thought things were beginning to work out, just when he thought he was growing in influence, just when he thought, you guys, just when you thought everything was going really well, just when you thought your life was headed in this direction and you're like, I can actually see the future clearly. Man, I know I'm on a trajectory and suddenly, boo, a 2020. Changes everything. Why, God? The diagnosis, why, God? Guys, it doesn't make sense. It's the truth. It doesn't make sense. We don't understand. But wouldn't it, isn't it so easy to question, what do I need to do to get out of this, right? What does Joseph do? Who wouldn't be afraid because for Joseph, this feels like the end of the road. But what we've learned about Joseph is he knows he's a son of significance. And what we're going to find as we read, as you read through this story this week, as you read through his time in prison, is you're going to find that this guy isn't messing around. He's going to make the most of his time in prison. And Joseph begins to be entrusted with things in the prison till he is an overseer of all the inmates. Guys, you don't get put in charge of overseeing all the inmates unless the inmates have some respect for you. 
because that would be chaos. Joseph begins to totally transform the prison. The prisoner becomes a prince in the prison. Wow. One morning as Joseph is going about his daily routine, he notices that two of the men are really upset and they had some dreams that were really troubling them. Well, Joseph knows something about dreams. And so he said to the two men in the prison, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I can't interpret your dreams, but I know one who can. So if you tell me, I'll talk to God and I'll pray and I'll see if he gives me an interpretation. So they told him their dreams and Joseph prayed to God and as he was receiving the interpretations, he realized that these two men worked for the king. So he gave him their dream interpretations and he said to them, if you get out of prison, if these dreams come true and you're out, would you please talk to Pharaoh for me? Both of the men got out of prison within a day. And do you think either one of them remembered Joseph? Nope. Forgotten. It wasn't another day or two days. There was no knock on the door. A year went by. And another year went by. Guys, if you're spending a year waiting on something, it feels like forever. One day, Pharaoh had a dream. A dream that no one around him could interpret until suddenly the king's servant remembered Joseph. I heard someone say recently, don't be discouraged when it seems like God is silent because God waits a long time to act suddenly. And suddenly, Joseph is brought up to interpret a dream. And suddenly, God gives Joseph the meaning of the dream. And suddenly, Joseph is promoted to oversee the land of Egypt next only to the king, like the vice president. You guys, suddenly, he goes from the prison to the palace, and he's sitting in a chair ruling over Egypt next to the king. Suddenly. That's crazy. Impossible. He's a foreigner. It's an impossible situation. But Joseph had faith in God, and it's his faith in God that led him from the pit, led him into the place of being a slave, led him into the prison, and then led him into this place of the palace. And as he's in the palace and as he's working for the king, a famine comes. And I'm, I'm telling this last part of the story real quick, okay, because you're going to have to read it because I'm out of time. <clears throat> But I really felt like this morning the most important part of this message that we need to hear today is not wasting time while we're waiting on God to move. Living in the present and making the most of it with God. Because what happens is Joseph ends up, this famine brings his brothers to Egypt. And it brings his brothers into Egypt and suddenly there's a moment where Joseph has the opportunity for revenge. But Joseph does not get revenge. Joseph gets redemption. A family is restored. A family is reunited. And you know what Joseph says in Genesis 50 verse 20? He says this, you, to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. 
You intended it for evil, but God meant it for good. That is just how good God is, you guys. He can take the most devastating situations in our lives and he can turn it and make it into something good. That's the capacity to be able to transform our families and generations. That's what happened in the life of Joseph. Some of you today, I'm just gonna invite the worship team to come out right now because we're getting ready to engage in worship. And some of you have family situations right now where there's been so much dysfunction, so many terrible words spoken, so much even abuse that you just go, my family's beyond repair. Let Joseph's story today fuel you with fresh faith for your family. Maybe some of you feel like you've been stuck in a place in the workplace where you're just frustrated and you feel like you can't get out. Or maybe some of you kids in the classrooms that you're in, you feel like you're alone. You guys, be encouraged. Joseph was alone. Joseph was not surrounded by a group of peers that were filled with faith. He was alone standing in his faith. And some of you are actually called to stand alone in faith right now in the classroom. You're called to stand alone in college. You're called to, it's time to rise up. Like God is looking for generals of faith who are willing to stand while the world is just being shaken, shaken, shaken. Can we stand firm in our faith and who Jesus says we are and release the kingdom of heaven wherever we go? I want you to stand with me this morning because there is a word in this today. And the invitation is that we wouldn't just hear it. Like you can hear about faith all day long, guys. The hard stuff comes when you got to step into it to take that step of faith and to say, God, I'm gonna fix my eyes on you and I'm gonna stop a pity party and I'm gonna start having faith in you and taking steps, they might be hard, but God, I'm gonna believe that even though I can't see it, I'm stepping on my promises right now. I'm stepping on my promised land right now. Even though I can't see it, I believe it. God spoke that to me during worship this morning. He said, Carolyn, yes, I've been in a major season where I feel like I can't see. And you know what he said to me, worship, Carolyn, you can't see it, but you're already standing on your promised land. What if you're already there? Are you doing something with it? Because we're not just building something right here, we're building for eternity. Our life is meant for eternal impact. And every moment of faith with God is an investment into eternity. Faith is never wasted. God sees it all. And there's a bank account for you in heaven for faith. God rewards, Hebrews eleven six 6 says, he rewards faith. And we're not here to do it for reward. We're here for obedience. But in obedience comes favor and it comes reward. And so let's just close our eyes here for a moment. God, we believe you for a fresh outpouring of faith today. We're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses like Joseph and like Abraham and like Sarah who have like, they get what it's like. Jesus gets what it's like. The waiting process, rejection, hurt, standing alone. Jesus gets it. And Jesus, you in us is the game changer. You in us is the capacity to walk into our tomorrow and to see you transform our surroundings as we look to you and as we trust in you. So for every person in every situation, God, right now, you see it. God sees you. He sees you. He sees you. He sees it. He sees it. He heard it. He heard the things that were said to you. He heard it. He's with you. He's with you. He's with you. Let's release faith on us this morning, Lord. We love you. Thank you for spending time with us today. 
You can find more content like this at vineyardlive.us. There you'll find conferences, training, and worship. You can check it out at vineyardlive.us.